I started really kind of, I guess to a degree, unintentionally at Easter, really talking about uh, the resurrection power of God, really in our life. And then for the next couple of weeks thereafter, I've really begin to, uh, begin to talk about living in that power every day. And so um, really this kind of this morning actually leads into, because I challenge you to live in what? This resurrection life. Well, this morning, I'm actually going to tell you how to do that. Because the only way that you can do it is through a connection and a vital connection with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and so it's important that we understand some things as, as obviously the series that we've called it is the Holy Who. Because that's the way a lot of people, understanding, if you really ask them, and maybe even for some of you in this room this morning, you may say, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit's in the Bible. And that might be your understanding. But I want to help you this morning to what? To try to come to a greater depth of understanding, um, you know, in some things. And so, you know, the, the title actually comes from Acts chapter 19, uh, where some uh, Christians came to one of the apostles. And, they, and he asked them, he said, in what baptism were you baptized? Was it in, uh, you know, Jesus' baptism and, they, or, you know, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we, you know, we were baptized in the baptism of John, being John the Baptist, which was really a baptism of repentance but it wasn't a baptism of salvation. Now, I won't go into the, the backside of all of that, but there are some theological differences. In other words, they said, God, I'm sorry, under John, the problem was salvation was not available yet, right? Well, the baptism of, in the Holy Spirit, which is technically the baptism that Jesus baptizes us in, um, you know, uh, that is actually salvation. That's an outward sign of salvation. And so, you know, but uh, so anyhow, so the question is, is they, they make the statement is like, they said, we've not heard of this Holy Spirit. And so that's where the title comes from. The Holy Who? And uh, so I think it's kind of catchy and I liked it. So we went with it. And, um, but before we jump into who the Holy Spirit is, I want to touch and really focus in for a few minutes on who he's not. Um, because I think that is as important as who he is, because the Holy Spirit gets a pretty bad rap, uh, typically because of Christians. <laughs> so, uh, and so, so let's just start off with a few things that he's not. Uh, now, I'm not picking on anybody, but if you, if you really struggle with something that I say or anybody says during this series, uh, I will tell you this, in the summer, we're going to have a small group uh, that's based on about and really themed on the Holy Spirit. So you're actually going to be able to so write down your questions because we're going to have a time in the summer here, just the end of June, we're going to start, and we're going to have a time where you can actually come and even take this to another level. Why? Because there's no way that we can cover the person of the Holy Spirit in four weeks. Amen. Not possible. It wouldn't matter if I stood up here and preached for three hours every Sunday for four weeks. I still couldn't. Why? Because you go from Genesis 1-1 to the very end of Revelation 22. He's through the whole book. It's like me trying to tell you, I can tell you everything about Jesus in four weeks. Not going to happen. I can tell you everything about God in four weeks. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But we want to make sure that we help, uh, help you. And so there may be some things even in your personal theology. You're like, what's theology? It's, it's what you believe about God. And that matters because what you believe about God is how you relate to God. Right? And so, uh, so number one, here's the first one. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Not an it. A lot of people will refer to it. Well, it, it showed up. Well, who? What showed up? He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a power. He has power. He has force. That's not who he is. He is a person. You say, why do you call him he? Because the Bible refers to him as he. Jesus referred to the Spirit as he. You're like, well, does that mean that he's masculine? 
You go study that and come back and let me know. And uh, then we'll talk about it then. But Now, here's one of the interesting things that I, as I was studying this and really looking into this, is that I say that, that he's a person, but really to be a person requires that you have three things. And really, it's what makes up our personality. But it's this, is that to be a person, you have an intellect or a mind, you have a will, and you have emotion or feeling. Now, see, if we just relate to the Holy Spirit as a, as a being or an it or a thing or whatever, it means that we can't actually know him. In other words, it's kind of like the saying when people say, well, you never know what God's going to do. Well, the Bible tells me what he's going to do. I see, his, I see the nature and the character of God throughout Scripture. Well, I also see the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. And I've also experienced him as well. Therefore, I've come to know him, and I'm continually to getting to know him more and more and more. Why? Because he's a person to be known, not something to be feared or to run away from. That's what most people think. Like, oh, them, them Holy Spirit people, they're just weird. Some people are just weird, right? So, we'll get to that one. That's number three. But, number two. Now, this might mess with your, depending on your persuasion of, of church history a little bit, is he's not a ghost, Depending on what version of the Bible you read, it may even say Holy Ghost. That's actually not properly translated. The proper translation is spirit, which we didn't even have a word for. They had to make up a word from the Greek into English because we didn't even have a word for spirit. They're like, oh, we don't know. We don't know how to, how to even approach that. So he's not a ghost. He's not scary. He's not strange. He's not odd or weird. He's not a dove. Now we see him in the form of a dove. He's not a wind. Some people say, oh, he comes and blows through. No, he doesn't blow through. He shows up. I don't blow through a room, do I? (laughs) My wife might say sometimes, but no, he shows up. Now, you know, and, and people have all kinds of things. I mean, you know, Acts chapter two, he's like the, the, like the flame of a fire. And they're like, oh, the Holy Spirit's fire. No, he may have. That may be the way that he appeared, but that doesn't mean that's who he is. He's not any other symbolic figure or shape or description that people might associate with him. That word spirit in the Greek is actually pneuma, which is the word that we did not have an English word for. They had to make it up. They had to like, come, up, come up with a new name. What it actually means is this, is that it's a refreshing breath of fresh air. When the Holy Spirit comes, we should be refreshed. There should be evidence that he shows up in our life. Another way to say it is it's like wind in our sails. You can't see it, but you know it's there. I've never seen the Holy Spirit, never will see the Holy Spirit probably. But I don't have to see him to see his effects, right? And so it's like wind in my sails, wind in your sails, and so... We want this to be our life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes to strengthen us, comes to refresh us. That's his whole goal. He is a spirit. In Genesis, it talks about this. It says that God created Adam out of the dust of the air, and he bent down and breathed into his nostrils. That's pneuma. It's the breath of God. The the very essence of God went into Adam, and that same essence is on the inside of every one of us. It's a spirit. You know, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says this. 
This is uh, Peter stands up and begins to preach on the day of Pentecost. And, and so he gives some sp- specific instructions here. And he says, so repent and return to God so that your sins will be wiped away. And this is interesting because most people know that part of Scripture. Got to come to Jesus to get saved. Got to come to Jesus to get forgiven. Well, what about the rest of the verse? Like, I didn't even go to verse 20. This is still verse 19. It says that we are to repent, return to God, come to God, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence, we're going to talk about that next week, of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day. See, he, he, he's not a form, but when he shows up, things begin to happen. See, he is someone to be in relationship with. The third one is this, is that the Holy Spirit is not weird. I mean, I, I, mean, I grew up in a Holy Spirit church, I'll say it that way, where we talked about these things. And I didn't know it was strange until I started talking to my friends and inviting them to church, and they're like, I can't go to your church. <laughs> and I'm like, why not? And they're like, it's weird. I mean, I've, I've heard all kinds of stuff. I've been told all kinds of things. Because people have these ideas that somehow that when you get the Holy Spirit, you become weird. No, there's weird people. The Holy Spirit is not weird. As a matter of fact, he will keep you from being weird, actually. I've had the Holy Spirit tell me that. Like, cut that out. Stop doing that. I'm like, quit being weird, you know. I mean, he's not weird. See, I believe what happens is that many times is that people actually begin to reject the power of God because they reject the packaging that it's been put in. People reject the Holy Spirit because of what they've experienced, what they've seen. They're like, I don't know what that is, so I don't want that. Like, I met this knucklehead who was weird. I mean, I'll just tell you a little nugget here. If you're one who comes around a lot saying, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said around me, I'm going to start looking at your fruit, and there will come a point where I'm going to say, the Lord didn't say. And you're going to be like, well, how can you say that? Because if the Lord said, he would do it. There would be fruit to line up with that. Now, I believe the Lord speaks, but I'm just cautious how much I throw that around. And see, the problem is, is that sometimes people have ran around saying, oh, the Lord spoke to me this, the Lord said this, the Lord wanted me to do this. You know, run up to people we don't know, saying crazy things to people. And they're like, you don't even know me. Yeah, but the Lord said, I got a word to correct you with. I've experienced that. And I'm like, you don't know me. Now, I have had times where people who did not know me read my mail. That's the Holy Spirit. I wasn't mad at him at all. But I've had many people come to me and be like, oh, I feel like the Lord is saying. And it's, I'm like, what planet did you drop off of? Because my Holy Spirit said no to that. <laughs> like, I don't know what Holy Spirit you're listening to, but that is not the one that's living in me, I can tell you. And so many times people struggle with that. But here's the thing, and it's just a truth that we, we all have to know. And this is true for every one of us. Is that we are only going to draw closer to God at the level of our comfort. It's true. At the level that we're comfortable, or let me say it this way, at the level that we understand God, that's how much we will experience of him. And if we have misinformation or bad information, or bad experiences, it will what? It will cause us to push him away and just be like, no, that's just, that's, that's not for me. I tried that once. I went to a service one time. You know, I had this thing, and it was just a bad experience, and so I just don't want any of that. I had a young man one time uh, that 
was from another church and he was when I was a youth pastor and he was dating one of the girls in our youth group and he had been hanging out with uh, at the church and around me and Darren around this girl's family and one day we were talking and he was a college age student at this point and uh, he began to ask me questions about the Holy Spirit because everything he had ever been told about us as Holy Ghost people spirit-filled people he was told that we were like demonic and weird and all kinds of things and he was and this is what he said is that you guys couldn't be anything different than everything I've ever been told. So we can't do anything about the stereotypes other than to live our life in a way that would honor God. But, but even in that, we have to what? We have to come to a place of understanding from scriptures about who God is and what he wants to do in our life. Why? Because we will only relate to him at that level. It's hard to do something, you know, or, or to connect to something you know nothing about. So, you know, and sometimes we've also made the Holy Spirit really difficult. Anything, and this is just human nature, anything difficult typically gets rejected. We all do this. Think about it. Somebody says, oh, it's easy. You get on the computer, you do this, this, and this. And you're like, ah, never mind. It's, just, it's not worth that. Why? Because it's difficult, so we reject it, and yet we've made it difficult when it comes to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to prove to you this morning, every single one of you have actually heard from the Holy Spirit before. You may not realize it, but I'm going to show you from Scripture. So, so a lot of people are, are really rejecting the things of God or the, about the Holy Spirit based off of bad information. And it, here's the worst part. It's things that aren't even in the Bible. It's just hearsay. It's somebody's bad experience somewhere. So many people can grab hold of the concepts in Scripture. They understand Father God. Even if you had a, a, a not great earthly father, you still get the concept, okay, well, he's Father. We get Jesus. I mean, there's movies about him. We get kind of the whole story of Jesus. But we get to the Holy Spirit, and things get a little cloudy for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of times we even struggle with it. Uh, even me being raised around the Holy Spirit and you know, in that type of a church, I really struggled when I got saved, just kind of like, okay, I understand Jesus. I, I know God's role. I, I get all that, but what, what do I do with the Holy Spirit? Like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. And, and so, you know, and so we can be challenged. And so I want to give you three things this morning of who the Holy Spirit actually is. And uh, this is just going to be backed by scriptures. And uh, so I'm going to give you a number of scriptures here in the next few minutes. But the first one is this, and, and, and I think it's important, a distinction to really, before I can talk about him as a person, you have to know who he is, right? And so the Holy Spirit is God. He's not like separate from God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now his name, we call him the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's just for distinction. He is no less God than God the Father. He's no less God than God the Son. He is God the Spirit. He is the spirit, we were just thinking about, the spirit of the living God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and would what? Validate who he was. And, and so we have to understand is that his name is not the Holy Spirit. His name is actually God. So we need to relate to him in that way. And his function, so his name is God, his function is as the Holy Spirit. Jesus has a different function than the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we don't need two Jesuses to die on the cross for us. One was enough. See what I'm saying? 
Jesus' function, the Bible says that Jesus was what? The lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Jesus had a function that was different than that of the spirit. And so, you know, even in this is that, so we see this, the idea of the Trinity, and we need to understand this before we can really go into anything else. There has to be this foundation. But here's the thing about the Trinity. You're like, I want to understand it. We can't. You can try. No more than you can understand how you are a spirit. You have a soul, but you live in a body. Show me your soul. Show me your spirit. Explain it to me. Anybody want to take a stab? Because I can't even explain that to you. I just know that I am a spirit. I have a soul. I have desires. I have thoughts. I have emotions. Yes. But other than my flesh, well, yeah, I can point that one out. It's right here. But, you know, this isn't the real part of me. The Bible says this is just a suit. Well, the Trinity defies all of our comprehension. I mean, how can something that's finite, being us, being our mental capabilities, understand something that's infinite? You can't. It's impossible. What it is, though, is it it is a divine mystery. It's something that we can look at throughout Scripture, and I'm going to give you several Scriptures here in a moment. But we can't expect to reduce to a logical formula, God, the Trinity, any more than we would attempt to transfer the Pacific Ocean into a teacup. That's what it would be like to try to take the Trinity and be like, I'm going to figure this out. Good luck. Take the Pacific Ocean and put it into a teacup. That's what you're attempting to do. So that can be frustrating. But what we don't want to do and what I want to caution you in is this, is we don't want to limit God to what we can only learn about him. We don't want to have a God that we can figure out because if you can figure him out, he's probably not God. But we also don't want to limit God to where I am and what I understand and what I have learned to this point. There will always be an aspect of God that will be somewhat mysterious to us. That's why we worship. Why? Because it's like you are beyond my comprehension. You're beyond my ability to grasp who you are. See, the point is not to completely understand God. The point is to worship him. See, when we come to a place of question, it can either turn into doubt or it can turn into worship. The choice is up to us, right? And and so we have to understand this. So the word trinity... And I'm just giving you, again, some, some, some foundation here. The word trinity actually comes from two words, which is tri being three and unity. Three in one. One is three. Like they're perfectly equal. It's three persons, yet one in the same. Like, why? What? Like, how do I wrap my brain? You're not going to. But yet it's what Scripture teaches. See, it's the three are one in nature and in will and in purpose. Jesus said it this way, I only do and say what I hear my father say and do. Jesus didn't have a different will than that of his father. The spirit doesn't have a different will than that of father God or uh, even as Jesus as the son. They are one and yet three distinct different. Their functions, their role, the way that they do things is different. So God is three, yet he's one. Like, that math don't work out. 
It's faith. It's the word of God. It is, you know, and so I want to show you some things. But so I've already said this, but just for clarity's sake. So we have God, which is the Father God. We have the Son, which is Jesus. We have the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Now here's one, an interesting thing that I love because I think this is one of the areas that we struggle with because any time that we hear three and one, we think competition. There is zero inferiority complex in the Godhead, in the Trinity. They are completely equal and completely satisfied with who they are. Nobody's jockeying for position. Nobody's trying to figure this thing out. Nobody's trying to want. No, they were completely secure. See, they're distinctly three different, yet still co-equal and co-eternal. There is no, you know, because you think like in our natural brain, we think, well, if you have a father and you have a son, then one came first, right? I mean, that's the way that works. I wasn't born with my son next to me, right? I was born 35 years later, my son is born. See, you can't try to fit God into our natural world and try to figure that out. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been together. They've never been separate. God didn't create them and then be like, okay, well, I need something else. I know they were, they were always been there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit, this is Genesis 1. I don't know if you know, as the beginning of your Bible, right? Like we're in verse 1 and 2. You can't go any more pre-Genesis. So God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. You're like, okay, well, I heard God the Father and the Spirit. Where was Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. That's Jesus. The Word was Jesus. It says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So he didn't, God didn't make, they always existed. You're like, well, my brain can't figure that out. Join the club. Don't feel bad. Again, it can either turn it into doubt or it can turn it into worship. It says God created everything through him. So actually, even in creation, God gave the instruction, Jesus made it happen, and the Holy Spirit watched over it all. That's really how that works says that nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now, let me give you a couple scriptures here, because I want you to see very clearly the, the, the trinity at work. Now, most of these are one scripture, because so I, I want you to see all of them. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says that the angel responds. Now, this is the angel showing up to Mary before Jesus is born. An angel shows up and says, hey, don't, be, don't worry, don't be afraid. But he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So Father, Father and Spirit. So the baby will be born holy and he will be called the Son of God. Father, Son, Spirit, all at work in the same scripture. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High, and the Son will be born through you. Acts 10.38 It says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Three different functions, three different places. It says, and then Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
So we need to understand is that if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to understand the Trinity, at least to some level. Even if it's just, okay, I can't figure it out, but I, okay, I get it. They are three, but they're one. They're one, but they actually have three different expressions, three different personalities. Here's my, my second thought for you today about the Holy Spirit. If we're going to understand him as a person, we have to understand this, is that he's relatable. He's relatable. Let me say it another way, is that you can know the Holy Spirit at your level. You don't have to become something to learn or to know the Holy Spirit. You don't have to grow up spiritually to get there one day. The Holy Spirit will come and meet you right where you are right now. He's relatable. He's not going to come talk to you in like King James English. Probably. I'm not going to say he's not. He could, I suppose, but probably not, though. He's going to come speak to you, and many times, in ways that we're unaware. See, I believe the Holy Spirit speaks a lot more than we're paying attention to it. But sometimes if we'll stop and pay attention a little more, we'll be surprised how much the Holy Spirit's actually speaking and talking to us. So he's relatable. He's not some strange, unknown being that's not in no way of knowing. He's a person to be known, to have relationship with, to have fellowship with. I love this. It comes out of a, it's actually out of a spoken word, but it's talking about God. And I, I, I was reminded of this and I just think it's so cool. But he says, uh, he says, my God, he is unsearchable yet knowable. He's indefinable and yet approachable. He's indescribable yet personal. He is beyond comprehension and further than any imagination and he's constant to every generation. See, just because he's beyond my ability to grasp doesn't mean I can't know him. He can come right to where I'm at. He can come right to where you're at. And you can actually know God. See, the truth is, is if you really want to get technical, I know Jesus by faith. I can know the Holy Spirit by experience. Because I've never met Jesus. Jesus never come to my room. (laughs) Hey, Some people have. I've never seen Jesus. So what? I believe in him by faith. I've never never seen the cross where he hung. I've never been to that play. I never. So I actually believe in Jesus by faith, but the Holy Spirit is actually, what, the one I can actually experience in the here and now. The day will come where the Bible says we will stand before him face to face. Jesus, nice to meet you. Thank you for saving me. And trust me, it won't be like that. We will be on our face. (laughs) But... You see what I'm saying, though? If I'm going to experience God now, it's actually going to be through the person of the Holy Spirit. That would be 99.99% of your experience with God. I leave the 0.01% just on the fraction because Jesus does show up in places every now and then. But most people will probably never experience that. But if you're going to know God, you're going to do it so do it through the person of the holy spirit so here's the other thing about this is that you can't have a personal relationship with him through somebody else it's personal you have to have a relationship and a connection with the holy spirit for you nobody else it's not you can't have borrowed faith on this one like god wants you to connect with him why because that's where the power of god actually comes from is that personal connection and and so it's important that we know this. Jesus was talking to his disciples. This was actually right at the Last Supper. And 
In John chapter 16, starting in verse 5, Jesus makes this just crazy statement that I think really challenges us many times. But he says, now I am going away. Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, look guys, this is all about to get wrapped up. I'm about to go away to the one who sent me. And not going, and he says, and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. How would you feel if you've been giving up everything, been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, and he's like, hey guys, I'm about to check out. And they're like, what? And the Bible says they actually begin to grieve. Why? Because they had been seeing miracles. They had been seeing all these things. It was this, these amazing moments. I mean, can you imagine being a part of the feeding of 5,000? How does this loaf just keep expanding? It takes them off and it just doesn't seem to get smaller. And this was pretty common for them. That was pretty normal. And then all of a sudden, the one who they see working all these miracles says, Hey, I'm, I've got to go. And Jesus makes this just amazing statement. He says, but in fact, it's best for you. It's best for you. See, if we were all really honest, most of us would say, I would take a physical Jesus over the spirit. Because I would want to be able to talk to him and ask him questions. And, and I, you know, I could, I could you know, be like Thomas, be like, let me put my finger in his hand. Let me put my fist in his side. Like, I would rather take the physical Jesus over the spirit, and yet Jesus himself says it's actually better for you that he left. It's better for me that he left. He says, it is best that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. He says, if I do go away, then I will send him. Now, there's lots of definitions that we could get into, but that word advocate is actually a pretty good one. It's actually a legal term. It would be like having a, an attorney to come and argue your case. That's really what that word advocate means there. But some of the other definitions of this word is to be a comforter, an encourager, a counselor, a teacher. I love this one, being a friend. The Holy Spirit came to be our friend. See, sometimes I think, especially in the generation in which we live now, so many, especially of our, even people my age and even younger, we have so many dads not in the home many times Young people have a hard time connecting to God as Father. But this is what I found. Everybody knows what it's like to have a friend. Everybody can understand God on that level. Another one would be helper. The Holy Spirit is to be our helper. This in a picture form is actually this. It means that I would pick up one side of the log and he goes and picks up the other. It's a, that's the, the picture of what this word actually means. He's one who will what? Help you carry the load. Now in the Greek, that word is actually the word paraclete, and it simply means one who comes alongside to help. He's going to come and help carry the, the burden. That, that's what he, what he came to do. Verse 12 says this, Jesus speaking again, says, There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. One of the other things here that we have to understand is that when Jesus is saying, when he says the advocate as my representative, what he's actually saying, and when you study this out, the scripture actually says it's not like he's separate. No, it's exactly the same thing. Jesus says it's going to be like me, but I'm not confined to one space or one time. I can be with anybody and everybody all at the same time. That's why Jesus said it was better that the Holy Spirit would come than him. Why? Because Jesus, can you be in two places at once? 
Anybody? Guess what? Neither can Jesus. Why? Because he has a physical body. And yet, the Holy Spirit is not confined to a body. And he can be with me at my house and you at your house. He can be talking to me and talking to you. Like, how does that work? He's God. He's beyond my comprehension. And that was a struggle for me because I'm analytical. I want to understand it. But the Bible says is that what Jesus was going to heaven, why? So that the Holy Spirit could come as his representative. It actually means one just like me. One exactly like me. He goes on, he says, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. How do I know if the Holy Spirit's talking to me? Does it line up with what Jesus taught us in Scripture? That would be the first thing I would encourage you to do. If the Lord, if you felt like, man, I felt like the Holy Spirit might have spoke to me. All right, go find some Scripture to back it up. Because if you can't find some Scripture, it ain't the Holy Spirit. I can promise you that. Why? That's what Jesus said. He will remind you of what I have, what I have told you. He's not going to come up with some new revelation that Jesus never taught us. Now, he may give us understanding of something that Jesus taught us. That's different. Here's what you have to know about the Holy Spirit, especially being in relationship with him, is that he's got nothing but good for you. He's got nothing but good for you. That's his desire, nothing but good. He's someone that we can relate to regularly. On a normal, this should be a part of our life. Not just a once in a great while. This should be normal for us that we hear from the Holy Spirit. And you may say, hey, man, I wish I could hear from God. I kind of teased you with this a few minutes ago. The truth is you already have. If you're saved in this room, you've actually heard the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not hear it with your physical ears. But you've actually already heard from him. Why? Because you put your faith in Christ. Do you realize without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, none of us would have ever turned to God? Ever. Who do you think convicted you? How did you know that you got convicted? Did you think that that was somebody just talking, saying words? Reading out of the Bible? Who do you, I mean, have you, let me ask you this. Have you ever read another book and got convicted? amazing when i was in school science never convicted me well maybe it convicted me that i hated it but that was about the great conviction i had about but it's amazing english math you ever read a book and got conviction you read the bible and what does it do it reads you more specifically the holy spirit through the bible has highlighted an area of your life we call that conviction not condemnation he brings conviction which is what when conviction comes there's power to overcome it there's ability to overcome it. Let me show you this in Scripture. John 16, verse 8. We were just reading this, these passages up to verse 7. Verse 8 says, When he, being the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit, what, is the one who actually tells us, hey, that one day you're actually going to answer for your life. Well, how do you know that? I, I don't know. I, I just know it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
See, in reality, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of God who actually produces the born-again experience for us as believers. It's impossible to get saved without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It requires that the Holy Spirit's at work and active for any person to get saved because none of us, I think you're wonderful, none of us would have turned to God, left to ourselves. It was the Holy Spirit at work. Now, you may not realize it, but even as you're putting yourself in a place to hear the word of God preached, the Holy Spirit's talking to you. I mean, I've had that happen before. Somebody's preaching along and I have this thought, I just need to think about that. Just, what is that? That was the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, pay attention, dummy. <laughs> pay attention, don't miss that. That was for you. Maybe you're smarter than me and you don't need the Holy Spirit to point it out. I needed him to point it out at times. <clears throat> Sometimes you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden just that, that verse just stands out. Well, who, why? Who do you think did that? Did the, page, did the words literally come off the page? No, it's just words on a page. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I'm going to read this out of the message translation. It says, the amazing grace <clears throat> of the master, that's the father, and of Jesus Christ. It says, the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is the parting shot, one of the parting thoughts, if you will, from 2 Corinthians. As he's wrapping up this letter to a church, he says, I want you to understand that it all starts with the grace of Jesus. But there's also the extravagant love of God, but there's an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. That's his prayer. He says, I want that to be with all of you. The intimate See, many times we have really in church and in Christian life, we have said, well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'm good. I think many people will be heartbroken when they get to heaven when they realize how much of God they could have experienced and that they didn't have to wait. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says this, says his Holy Spirit being God's Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life making you fit for himself. He says don't take such a gift for granted. God's Holy Spirit moving. It's the most intimate part of your life making you fit. How are you going to become who God wants you to be by the work of the Holy Spirit? It's only through that that, that, that God's work happens in our life. It says don't take such a gift for granted. This leads me into my last point. Number three. This actually ties into the beginning as well. But is that the Holy Spirit is a person and he has feelings. Now not feelings like we understand feelings. That's not what I mean. But the Bible, I mean, give you several examples of this. Does the Bible not say that God is a jealous God? Does anybody know that the Bible says that? It says he is a jealous God. Does it not say that God at times is angry? Does it not say that God delights in the prosperity of his servant? Oh, well, that's funny. Those are all emotions. I'm not telling you he has feelings necessarily like us. We can't try to fit God into our picture of what we are. No, he's beyond us, but we are made in his image. We are made in his likeness. So he has feelings. 
because he's a person with a personality. Now, I'm going to get real personal for a few minutes here. So I'm going to get in your space for a moment. But it's not really me. It's the Holy Spirit. Because the whole point of today is this, is that he's a, he's a person to be experienced. But just like any other relationship, the decisions and the choices we make affect those relationships. How I treat and talk to my wife affects our relationship. It's just true. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Christ Jesus until you experience your full salvation. This is so important right here. It says, So never grieve the Holy Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Why would the Word of God tell us to never grieve the Holy Spirit if we couldn't do it? We absolutely can. Really, what happens in that moment when we grieve Him, it, I'm going to give you a, a physical picture of this. It actually means to push away or to hold at a distance. You say, well, how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? By not listening. By not listening to him, by, by not being aware of his presence in our life. And many times, though, I really think it does come back to doing things that he tells us not to do. You know, give you, um, you know, let me say this real quick, too, along this. Is it, and no one ever intends to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you did, you wouldn't be here. Let me just help you with that. No one, it's no one's purpose. Like, oh, man, I'm going to take off the Holy Spirit today. That's not going to happen. If that was your heart, you wouldn't be in service today. But one of the things that happens that I have experienced is that when I grieve the Holy Spirit, he becomes quiet. He gets quiet in my life. And it's like, Lord, why are you not speaking to me? Why are you not talking to me? Man, we used to have such good fellowship. And, man, I used to love going to church. And I could feel the presence of God. And now it just seems like I'm disconnected. There may be some areas of your life where you need to go like any other relationship and tell the Holy Spirit, hey, I'm sorry. You told me not to do this. You told me to get out of that relationship. You told me not to, to watch this. And yet, why? Because it's those convictions. You're like, well, why shouldn't I watch this? Because the Holy Spirit said not to. It's really not complicated. You know, I'll give you a natural example just to try to help connect this a little bit. I mentioned it already, but if you haven't ever picked up on this, I kind of have the gift of sarcasm. Uh, I'm a a little bit sarcastic. And, uh, you know, but sometimes in my relationship with Dara, that sarcasm has actually gotten me into trouble. Because I say something and, you know, she's like, you know, why would you say that? I'm like, I didn't even mean it. And she's like, then why did you say it? What happens is I actually have grieved her. And what happens out of that grief is that she doesn't want me close to her. She's like, you can go sit over there. (laughs) You can go outside. (laughs) You can go anywhere. Just get away from me, right? See, the the truth is is that I have what? I've actually pushed her away, even with my sarcasm. Not that I intended to hurt her, but the fact is is that I still have. You know, I thought Miss Becky did just a great job last weekend talking about Really, how God works is that masculine and feminine both come from God. You know, and so many times, 
because we can get caught in the trap like, well, God's like this domineering personality. But many times in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, that's in my opinion, I'm not saying this biblically, but in my opinion, many times is the softness of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God it comes to the person, which many times those are more feminine traits. I'm not saying he's a female. That's not what I'm necessarily saying, but I'm just saying in his nature, he's gracious, he's kind, he, man, he, doesn't mean he's weak. So what happens is, is that when I grieve her, I have a loss of closeness and, and intimacy. And the same thing can happen with the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and so we can, and, and many times it's really in two specific areas. And it could kind of be similar, but I'm, I'm going to qualify them separately. One is in areas of disobedience. Things that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we just blow it off. Like, nope, I don't need to do that. I hope I know I shouldn't do this. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. And sometimes they're not sinful things. Sometimes they're not even necessarily bad things. They're just things that God says, that's not going to help you get where I want you to go. Now, there are areas of our life that can be sinful. And the Holy Spirit will say, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't participate in that. And the Holy Spirit will speak to us and talk to us. You know, I think I've shared this before, but when I was probably living for the Lord for about a year, the Lord talked to me for nine months about walking away from two of my closest friends, breaking that relationship because I couldn't hang out with them anymore. For nine months. I knew it in my heart. I just couldn't do it. I just, I'm a loyal person by nature. I just, man, these were my boys. There was a gentleman who called me out in a service. I, I mean, I can quote it verbatim. 20 years, over 20 years ago, I can tell you word for word exactly what that man said to me. He didn't know me from anybody. I was actually sitting kind of, let me orient myself here. I would have been over here. And he pointed at me and said, young man, he said, you need to tell those friends to go down another road while you have a fighting chance to do what God told you to do. Nobody had to confirm that. Nine months, I was wrestling with it because I knew it. I knew it. Well, it was easy for me to kind of, or easier, I should say, for me to dismiss it when it was just the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And because I wouldn't listen and wouldn't obey, he had somebody else tell me the same thing. That wasn't his best. It's kind of embarrassing in the moment, actually. That wasn't God's desire. But man, he nailed it. The next day, I had a conversation. The next day. Doesn't mean that I don't care for those guys. Doesn't mean that I don't pray for them. Doesn't mean any of that. I just knew that in my life, for me to do what God was telling me to do, I had to break away. Well, that, that was the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I had to be willing to be obedient. And I'm convinced, if I wouldn't have, I, I believe that was such a crucial decision in my life. Like, oh, well, God can restore anything. What did the Holy Spirit say? Tell these friends to go down another road while you have a fighting chance to do what God's told you to do. Not all decisions are equal. Sometimes God gives you specific that are life-changing, life-altering decisions. I mean, it's a fork-in-the-road moment. You need to hear from the Holy Spirit in those moments. I mean, it's vital for your life. It's vital for, your, for really for you moving forward. so important 
So you may be here, and even as I'm speaking, there's stuff stirring up in your heart. Now, I'm not saying it, but there's stuff in you that the Holy Spirit's just highlighting. Areas of disobedience, areas that, that you know, man, that I've not done what the Lord told me to do. Like, what do I do? I mean, I feel like I've listened to you talk. I feel like I've grieved the Holy Spirit. What do I do? It's like any other relationship. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I, I ask you to forgive me for not listening to you, for not following your guidance. You are my guide. You are my, the one who leads me into all truth. Holy Spirit, I ask you, restore our relationship. It's that simple. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to lead you in a prayer along what I was just encouraging you to do so that way you don't have to wait and do it later. We're going to take care of it right now. Now you can just say this to yourself. You can say it out loud. I don't care how you do it. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer to what to make sure that we're in right relationship with the Holy Spirit before we leave this place this morning. So if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and I know He is, just say, Dear Holy Spirit, I ask you to forgive me for putting anything between us. I'm sorry if I've grieved you. And I ask you to forgive me to bring us back close together that we can have that intimate fellowship that you desire. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody can look up at me. You know, you may be here this morning and and you may say, man, you said all of this starts with the grace of God and it does. You may be here this morning and maybe you're just not in relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus and you say, man, I need to because that's that's the qualifier. To have the help of the Holy Spirit, you first got to surrender to Jesus. And you may be here this morning and say, man, I, I... I want to surrender my life. Maybe you're here and even beyond what I just prayed, you may know that there's areas of your life that you've really forsaken God and kind of been going your own own way. And it's like, man, I need to come back. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to just surrender. Life is better with Jesus. Life is better with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a a phrase that I didn't get to, but, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I realized is that many times when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, there becomes this spiritual pride and arrogance that comes because somehow we think, oh, well, I have the Holy Spirit working in my life. Somehow I'm better. But please hear this. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than anybody else. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. What it does is it makes me better me. It makes me a better version of myself. So it actually shouldn't create pride. It should actually create some humility going, I need the Holy Spirit. And you may be there this morning. You just come, came, have come to the realization, man, I need, I need more of God in my life. If you're here, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up real quick?